Welcome to the School for Mystics podcast with Misha Saido and Marina Galan. In this podcast, Marina and I will share with you unique and contrarian perspective of how our lives really work. Hello! <laughs> Good morning, Misha. Good morning, Marina. So it's episode number six. It is episode number six. How are you today? I'm, you know, I love this tradition of meeting every week and exploring these different topics together. Yeah. I, I find so much in these conversations and I listen to them and then I think more and I'm like, ah, what else I, I had to say? What else I had to ask? Like, that's such a nice ritual that we have. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's like just really taking a stroll, taking a walk and just seeing what comes. It's yeah. amazing. So do you know what we're going to talk about today? I think so, right? The Sermon of the Mount, is that correct? Correct, yes. Beautitudes. Beatitudes. All right, that, that can be a really tough one, right? Because that is like the compendium of the teachings. Yes, and especially we, we promise our listeners to give unique and contrarian view. Yeah. So I want to say there is no pressure, Marina, on us, but there is pressure. <laughs> <laughs> like fish deep, go all the way in and see what you find there. Exactly. Like... We read so much on, you know, how that can be explained because, you know, like Jesus, he, he has created, actually, it's not him who, 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 who wrote them down, but basically um, it is attributed to him as the author, right? And of, of the sermon, and it was so long ago. The, con the context has changed. The cultural context has changed a lot. But the depths and wisdom, right, haven't. So how about that? Like, I will read, you know, a few of the uh, Beatitudes. And uh, this is um, Matthew, Matthew 5, 3, 12. So I will read a few and let's see what we can see. Yeah. Let's see what we can see. But I would like to point out something before we start, Misha. It's that, like you say, the context has changed. But also the internal context of humankind has changed. Like we have seen so much in these 2,000 years, you know. And, and, and our thinking is not the same. The way we understand life is not the same. And so it, the, the beauty of revisiting all the teachings mm -hmm. is finding the truth in them that is still valid today. Yeah. So starting from the idea or the, or the understanding that truth is always, always valid. And not only always, but everywhere as well to everyone for everyone yeah let's go let's dive yeah so the first one 
is actually my favorite as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right. So much understanding around that one, right? <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Like, like, like yourself, I, I'm multilingual as well. And um, what's, what I try, like every time when I try to understand the teaching, I will try to go to the um, original text, like to the, you know, to the origin. Now, one of the Bibles that is old, but at the same time, not old, like enough for for humankind not to be able to translate it, okay. would be uh, the um, the Bible written in ancient Greek. Right. So generally, when I when I try to understand what Jesus meant in his teachings, I would go to the uh, uh, ancient Greek text. And I'll try to, to decipher that. So like my, my understanding of the structure of Greek language allows me to, to, to make not always accurate conclusions, but conclusions that sound valid for myself. Right. So the outer listening and the inner listening, like seeing what resonates yeah. inside. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and in this particular case, what can be translated different? Actually, like there are two words that can be translated different. So one is blessed and another is poor. So let's start with the poor and the, um, you know, in um, ancient Greek, poor actually has two, two definitions. One is poor, like our definition, like you basically have no money, right? Or you have no material possessions or you, you don't have enough of something yeah that's like lack. lack right yeah. like deficiency or lack and another definition would be poor as renunciate there you go basically uh, it's not that you don't have it's that you don't need okay so that was first big part for me the second big part was the blessed so, again, in ancient Greek, you can translate that to a few different words. So, one would be happy, another would be blessed, and the third one would be serene. Will be what? Serene, like serenity. Serenity, so, right? Yeah. Serene. Okay. So, that's, that's, that's interesting. So, basically... Jesus is saying that someone who doesn't clinch to material possessions or to worldly things, to stuff, someone who doesn't try to find the foundation of herself or himself in those things, is peaceful and will inherit Inherit the heaven. And also that goes to the understanding of what the heaven is. 
because we know so many people who has created hell out of their general lives. And we know many who are so incredibly happy and peaceful and serene every day that they truly can find heaven in their every moment. So how does it land in for you? How is it landing for you? Well, it's landing well. Can I can I just bring in a few of the things that have yes. you know bubbled up for me? The first thing I would like to make very clear is that for some time now I have been really looking at any teaching as if it were descriptive, not prescriptive. And so for me, all the teachings, any teaching has become a description of how life can be when you are centered, when you are happy, when you are, when you have God in your heart, if you want to put it that way, right? So there is not a promise of heaven. Mm -hmm. There is an understanding that heaven is already here. It's just that you will be able to see it or not, depending on how centered or how aligned you are with your true nature or your divine nature, if you want to see it that way, or your spiritual nature. Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, blessed, happy, serene, all those are just a description that point to the experience you have when you are aligned with your true nature, with your true spiritual nature, when you are in full presence. Yes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay, cool. So starting, taking that as a starting point. When I hear poor in spirit, and that's, there's that little word, poor in spirit. You know, when I, when I have been reflecting on that, it sounds counterintuitive. It seems, you know, like opposites, contradictory. But in reality, what I understand in that poorness is a complete lack of attachment. Like an, a, an honest openness of the spirit. And what I mean by this is, is a very precise thing. Not having your spirit limited by beliefs. Not having your spirit limited by concepts. Not having your perception tainted by judgment. But finding your spirit completely open. So in, in, I guess in, in those terms, I, I tend more to understanding, understand it as a renunciation, like you were saying. You know, like we create, the creation of concepts and judgment and belief is inevitable in us. It happens without us, you know, like we only see it once it's already there, once it has already been created in us. But becoming aware of them and renouncing them 
has become for me an exercise of offering. Offering what I think I know for what I don't know. Offering what I have seen in exchange for what I have not yet seen. Offering my ideas of how life is or should be. By the and in exchange for the possibility of the present moment in discovering how life actually is being right now without me, without, without, without the rational me that is doing all this exercise, that is, that is creating a personal world out of the world, a personal life out of life. There is, a, there is a quote by Jeff Foster that I think really points to, to the center and the heart of this. And he says, paradise or hell or heaven, like you were saying, paradise or heaven is the present moment. And hell is wanting the present moment to be different. So heaven or paradise is already given. You, you do not need to create it. But you are free to take yourself away from it by attaching your spirit to ideas, beliefs, concepts, preferences, creating needs, creating the idea of lack. So the, the poorness of spirit for me points to that inner life in which we renounce whatever is created from ego in exchange for the happiness, the serenity of presence, of pure presence, of pure consciousness, and just being in life. Now, I, the, the way I understand poor in spirit is like I was asking myself what one thing I need to renounce to like to follow this beautitude. And I'm realizing that for my spirit to be truly poor, I need to renounce my trust in words. Okay, there you go. Like there is no neutral word. For example, I, I, I look in front of me, there is a chair. Now you might say that a chair is very neutral. But when I think about a chair, when you think about a chair, we see different chairs. The, the biggest problem in trusting in words is that when I trust any word, I think I understand the purpose. But for me to understand the purpose of anything, I see a house, I see a chair, I see a window, I see my uh, computer. For me to understand the purpose, I need to understand the original design. If I don't understand the original design, any purpose I will assign to the object or, or subject is just totally made up stuff. So 
to renounce trust in meanings, to renounce trust in words, means being truly poor in your spirit and being humble, understanding that you don't have enough cognitive power to truly understand the original design. There you go. And many people think that anxiety will come with that understanding, but actually it is the opposite. Peace and serenity will come with that understanding. Yeah, well, again, naming things or labeling things is inevitable. And it happens always in relation to something, you know, like the reason for it, the original idea, the etc. But when you renounce that, you enter a world in which there are no opposites, in which there is truly just a, a sense of being full, complete, whole, with everything, interconnected to everything. You know, and it's like that that famous Zen koan, right? Like, what what is this moment missing? What is this moment lacking? And if you actually stop and look around, you will see that there is nothing that any moment can lack, right? But because we understand, because the rational mind understands the world via opposites, and in regards to the reason behind it, we get so lost in that world. And, and the rational mind seems to find comfort and peace in understanding that way. Oh, this is for that. Oh, this is for that. And I should prefer this over that. And which one is the right one? So there is, there is a sense of ease in fixation. But in reality, every fixation is a limitation. And we are designed to thrive in freedom, not in limitation. So limitations are valid only for this moment. Understanding is valid for this moment. Judgment is valid for this moment. We err in thinking that we can then take those concepts, those judgments, those ideas, those fixations, and turn them into something that will always be valid. We turn them into truths. And in that exercise, we end up limiting ourselves so that in the next moment, when that limitation is no longer useful, is no longer valid, then we experience suffering. And so we want to change reality to adapt to what we think it should be. And we have fallen in the, in the, in the trap of rejection. And we are creating a hell for ourselves instead of enjoying the garden. The Sufis, uh, when they, they finally get to the point where they understand the wholeness of everything and that there is nothing lacking ever, they come to see that 
that is a big moment, you know? So now what? <laughs> if there is nothing to do, now what? Their answer to this question is, now we celebrate. Now we celebrate what is. And that is why their thing is creation, right? Through art. As an expression of that wholeness, not as a path in which they are searching for that wholeness. So that the starting point of the pilgrimage, if you want to see it that way, the starting point of the adventure is wholeness and completion, not lack. And again, it is baffling to the rational mind that poorness is the heart of wholeness. Mm -hmm. And yet it's the serpent biting its tail, right? It is the, the lack of the lack, the absolute openness, the, the agreement with life as it is right now. You know, the, the truth is that there is no opposite to poor in this context. It is not rich in spirit, which is the opposite. It is nothing. The opposite doesn't exist here. Yes, it is not trying to point to one of the opposites, to one of the extremes. It is trying to point to the center of it all, to the Aleph, right? The origin of it all. Yeah. And you mentioned that all we need to do is just celebrate. And you know, the reality is, it is celebration already, whether you want it or not. Yeah. <laughs> it's whether happening with you or without you. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Anthony de Melo says that enlightenment is absolute collaboration with the inevitable. <laughs> and I love that quote, you know, and it, I lived for that for months. I wondered, you know, like, so what does absolute mean? And what does collaboration mean? And what is the inevitable? But in the end, the only inevitable is now. And the absolute collaboration with it implies an absolute acceptance of it and an absolute renunciation of what it is not. And then you enter a completely different dimension that you can exist in, in this collaboration with life because you read what is needed from the moment, not from your ideas, not from your beliefs and your preferences, so that you can respond with absolute wisdom, from absolute wisdom, in spite of you. Have you ever thought that dimension and dementia, they sound similar? <laughs> <laughs> I have, but <laughs> that, is a, that is one hell of a rabbit hole, Michelle. <laughs> yes, that's true. Okay, so let me 
throw it to you another one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You want me to start with that one? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I think all of them, you know, starting from this number two, all of them, they are trying to point in a way to the inevitability of grace. Like whatever, whatever you lose yourself with, whatever you lose yourself in, you will be brought back by grace. It is inevitable. Because like you were saying, you know, celebration is happening with or without you. So that is, it, it points also to the old, old saying, you know, time heals everything. Yes, we enter agreement with what is because we can't help it. Sometimes it takes little time. Sometimes it takes a long time, but we will always end up entering agreement. It is inevitable. And so for me, those who mourn are always the, the morning itself is an invitation to comfort. The morning itself is a calling back to an acceptance of what is. And because the design is so perfect and grace is inevitable, you will be comforted. So in a way for me, it points to the invitation to allow that to happen and not resist it. Does that make sense, Misha? Absolutely. You know, I'm thinking about that to mourn should be substituted with to feel. Those who feel, those who choose to feel, whether it's good or bad, those who choose it, will be always comforted. And what they will realize as you go through sadness or if you go through grief, whatever feeling is there, in the end, there is always light. There you go. It's always there. <clears throat> you see, it's not in the future. It's not at the end of the tunnel. The, the tunnel itself is made of light, is, is, is calling you back to light. There's this sentence in, in the book of A Course in Miracles that says, we are always either in love or in a call for love. Mm -hmm. But because the call for love is love itself, we are always in love. It, it is inescapable. But we do get lost. So it's pointing both to the inevitability of getting lost and mourning the loss of something. But also the other part, the inevitability of grace and how you will come back. Now, the word mourning to me is really interesting because it points to loss, inevitably points to loss. And what I have seen about loss is that everything is love in the formless playing with the form. 
But the form is perishable and love isn't. So in a very strict way, the loss of form must point you back to the formless. It is the invitation to go back to the formless. It's as if you have, imagine like all you can see in front of your eyes is a blank screen. And then suddenly a hand appears in front of you, in front of you between you and the screen. And you fall in love with the form of a hand. And you see its beauty and its possibilities as it, and its movements. And it can be an amazing thing. But the source of that is the formless. And so the form needs to perish so that we can realize that the love is not in the form, but in the formless. So you know, it, it's the invitation to the comfort itself. It's, it's loss is love itself showing us the way. Sorry, you were going to say something. You no, know, that's actually, that's, that's funny how it works. I'm about to give you this thought and you actually are giving that instead. Like <laughs> I was thinking about the pointing to the idea of mourning is loving. Absolutely. Yeah. Like yesterday my son calls me and, and, and he says, Hey, can you switch on the light? Like he, he was already in the bed. It was already late. And he's like, Oh, I'm afraid of dark. Can you switch on the light? And is that's so normal for, for kids? Right. And I thought, Oh, maybe this is, you know, tiny moment for teaching. <laughs> and it, 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 it is especially funny when you're trying to teach your five years old. Oh yeah. I've been. Right? <laughs> yeah. But at least he tries to listen. And what I was trying to explain is that the darkness and the light are actually of the same nature. That light will never exist if there is no darkness. That sound will never exist if there is no space to hold it. There you go. And they're the same. If there is no space, there is no sound. If there is no darkness, there is no light. Now, they are exactly of the same nature and the same with our emotions. There is no bad and good. There is no bad emotion and, and good emotion. There is no negative emotion and positive emotion. This, the, the, this idea of positive psychology seriously screwed us up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the misunderstanding of a century, right? Yes. But you see, when you are open to experience absolutely any feeling out there. And the worst that will happen to you is that you just experience. That's the worst. That's the promise of the worst. Like the worst that will happen with you in darkness is that you will see nothing. That's the worst. Like the worst thing that can happen to human beings is feeling. Exactly. And the best thing that can happen to human it's beings feeling. is feeling, right? So we are... We are both entranced, enamored, and terrified of feeling at the same time. But that's all that will ever happen. You will only feel. 
Jesus is saying that those who mourn will be comforted. But he doesn't add that they will be comforted by themselves. No, it's a more, it's a much larger description of what is actually going on. But I think he points to the nature of comfort, which is if the worst that can happen to you is a feeling, there is eventually nothing to be afraid of. Right. But you see, <clears throat> so the, the worst thing that can happen to you is feeling and it will pass. Because you are drawn to your true nature, which is well-being. You are drawn inevitably to your true nature, which is acceptance, which is beauty. It's you know, you, when you ride a bicycle, the faster the, um, or the bicycle or the bike, or like motorbike, the faster the motorbike goes, the better your center. Basically, it's very hard to, you know, to side the bike when it is goes when, when, when it is going real fast, because the, the motion, the power of motion is centering you. So back to your saying, when you say time will heal everything, or another saying that I like is um, temporis veritas filia, which is uh, time is a daughter of truth, right? What I want to change is that the moment will heal you. There you go. Yeah, like grace is available now. You don't have to wait yeah. for it. Yes. The promise is not in the future. The promise is heaven is right here. You're just not seeing it because you are in disagreement with what is. It's like you're too, bu too busy watching show in your head. Yeah, you're just you're just lost in, in in your thinking, in your beliefs, in your preferences, in your concepts. But it, what it points to is the elemental misunderstanding that we have lost it, and we haven't. So, whatever you're mourning, don't worry, you cannot lose it. You are one with everything. Lose to what? It's an impossibility. So true. So true. No, I remember this moment. Um, I'm coaching this the, the woman, and um, she had some really nasty, traumatic experience in her life, and uh, she keeps going there, and she starts sobbing, and then she starts wailing, you know, like a um, like like a shot animal, and she feels so much suffering and and other people watching because that was kind of the, the group coaching exercise and i see that they, they like everyone who's watching they, they they don't understand what to do about it it feels like this woman will collapse now the pain seemed to be so huge in her and I just give her my hand and I say, take my hand. And, you know, she doesn't move. And I say, take my hand. And she takes my hand. And I'm like, feel the warmth of my hand. Feel it now. Is it warm? She's like, yes, it is warm. 
And suddenly she starts, she stops crying. Because the moment healed her. Suddenly she's here and now touching my hand and feeling the words of my hand. Her thought process is not occupied by this, you know, dramatic event anymore. She's here and she's healed. There you go. Because you cannot really think about this moment. You can only perceive it. So in order to be lost, you need to be not here, mm-hmm. not conscious of here, not perceiving now. And if you are perceiving now, then you are not in disagreement. Do you see? Yeah. Being, being in perception, being in awareness, surrendering yourself to that must bring you now. It cannot take you anywhere else. And here and now is where the promise of heaven is. I think these phrases and these teachings are called beautitudes because the design is so beautiful. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe the, the state of beatitude is the state of, of surrendering, you know, of, of awe, of witnessing. Yeah. Okay, so we explored two beautitudes today. And we have a few more to discover and explore in our next episode. Wonderful. I'm really looking forward to it. I've enjoyed this one so much. It was good. All right. Thank you, Misha. Thank you, Marina. I'll talk to you next week. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the School for Mystics podcast. 